0: Well, I want to begin in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 and the beginning of Acts chapter 6 is where we're going to spend our time today. Uh, The title of this message is No Return. And we have looked at at the church in Acts uh, in recent weeks, and we're going to continue to do that for a little while. Uh, I haven't put any kind of particular name on this series, uh, but I just thought that uh, at a time when we're worshiping in homes, uh, that we have a, a deeper sense of connection, maybe with the church in the early chapters of Acts. And uh, at this point, they're not meeting in homes yet. Not uh, they're breaking bread in homes. We've been told, but but uh, but that's gonna that's gonna change for them. And uh, I want to begin in Acts chapter five, uh, beginning with verse twelve. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And so... We have talked in recent weeks about how how at Pentecost it says that about 3,000 people were baptized and and last week we saw further scripture uh, that said that the church was continuing to grow and now here for a third time in uh, the early chapters of Acts it says... uh, More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. All this going from Acts chapter 1 when Peter first gets up to speak to the believers and we're told that there's about 120 people in the room. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, a time when I was watching a launch of the space shuttle. And I was in high school, and I remember being intrigued by it. And I remember uh, hearing, you, you could actually hear the dialogue on the television between mission control and, uh, and, and the astronauts who were in the shuttle. And so, <coughs> excuse me, if you've ever seen a shuttle launch, and many of us have, have seen footage of that, you know, it starts off really slow and uh, because there's a lot of weight there and you've got that uh, the booster rockets and that uh, that large auxiliary fuel tank and and there's just such a tremendous amount of weight and as it's taking off it's fighting inertia and so it has to use all those pounds of thrust millions of pounds of thrust to overcome all that weight and get that thing moving but then once it starts moving it moves fast and uh, you think about something that's fast, a bullet fired from a rifle is fast. I mean, depending on the caliber and the grain of the bullet, there can be variances in how fast that bullet might be, how many feet per second it might travel. But the space shuttle, once it gets going, it travels at about nine times the speed of a bullet fired from a rifle. Nine times. And so you're talking about like 18,000 miles per hour. Now that's fast. I don't care who you are, right? I mean, that is so fast. And so, uh, and so the, the, the shuttle is, is taking off, and then there's that point where I, I, I heard somebody at Mission Control say, we are no return. And I thought, well, what in the world does that mean? We are no return. And it's because there is a point in which if something goes wrong in the mission, goes wrong in the flight early on, they can jettison that big fuel tank and they can jettison those booster rockets and they can turn that thing around. The pilot can turn that thing around and, and lower the landing gear and land it at, a, at an airstrip somewhere. But then they get to a point in the mission where you just can't do that. Uh, and so, mission control says, we are no return. And so then the commentator uh, comes on the, on the air and says, says uh, well, this is the point in which the shuttle, if something goes wrong, cannot return. They, they are bound for outer space. There, there is no coming back. And see, with the early church, there, there is no coming back. I mean, they are, full, they are full speed ahead at this point. The Lord is adding to their number daily. And, you know, we think about something, a movement taking off fast. This is taking off fast. As far as movements go, they are full tilt, 18,000 miles per hour. They are, they are growing like crazy. And, of course, what happens when a group of people grows like crazy? People take notice. you ever read uh, the first chapter of the book of Exodus? And we're familiar with the part where the plagues happen and the the people are finally released and to go worship in the desert and all all that good stuff. But if you read how the book of Exodus starts... It starts where it says that there was this family. There's this family of 70 people, but then Pharaoh changes and then the people grow. And what had God promised the patriarchs? That their descendants, namely uh, beginning with Abraham, that your descendants will be too numerous to count. And so for generations now, it's still just, just a big family, but then all of a sudden, it says that they start to multiply. And that Hebrew word that's translated multiply literally means to swarm. And so now all of a sudden in Egypt, the Hebrew nation is just like out of control. And so what happens when the people grow? Well, the leader gets nervous. And so Pharaoh says, we got to do something about this. Well, the same thing happens thousands of years later. With the, with the early church uh, because now what, what's going on is people are noticing that this church is growing like crazy. We skip down to verse 17 in Acts chapter 5. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. And so there you have it. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, tells us that you know the, the, the Jewish leaders... Are now filled with what? Filled with jealousy. Boy, how many conflicts have started with someone filled with jealousy? And so and so here they are, and they arrest the apostles. The apostles are going to the temple courts, and the the apostles get arrested. But then what happens? God intervenes. Uh, What is it that Jesus said? In John's Gospel, in this world you will have what, church? Trouble. trouble. Yeah. You're going to have some trouble. But then what did he say after that? Take heart, I have overcome the world. And history has been a series of moves and counter moves. Somebody moves against God, somebody moves against God's people, and then God moves in response to that. God had to to move thousands of years before this against a Pharaoh. And so God, thousands of years later, is moving once again against a group of Jewish leaders who are having his people arrested and put in jail. And so uh, this next section here describes that they, they, they come to the jail the next morning and uh and the people that were arrested, the apostles, the people that were speaking about Jesus of Nazareth, they're nowhere to be found. And so uh, then, then someone says, Well, they're they're in the temple courts, and so they go and they grab them again and they bring them before the ruling council, and then uh in verse 29, uh It says, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And right there, Peter is summing this up so beautifully. Peter's saying, you know, we're not going to answer to human beings, we're answering to God. That God sent a prince, God sent a savior, and you folks, you responded by nailing him to a cross. But that didn't stop him, that we are witnesses to all these things. Uh, And so verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious, they being the Jewish leaders. They were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside a little while. In other words, it's one of those scenes where you say, hey, you guys step outside so we can talk about you. You know, that's, that's what's going on here. Uh, you step outside so we can talk about you when you're not here. And so then Gamaliel is somebody who is, is very respected. As a matter of fact, we find out later in Scripture that he is the teacher of Paul. And so Gamaliel then starts addressing the Jewish leaders. Men of Israel, considerly, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thetis appeared claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Now think about that for a minute. He gets up and he gives this one example, uh, Theodos, and he says, "You know, remember when that guy appeared, and then he, he, was, he managed to get some people to follow him. He said there were about 400 people that followed him. He says, but then once he, he was dead, then that was the end of that. And then along comes this guy, uh, Judas the Galilean. Now Judas, this would have happened when Jesus would have been probably about 10 years old. So it was in Jesus' lifetime, but certainly a couple of decades before, roughly before he began his public ministry. And so what Judas the Galilean was all about was uh, opposing Rome because they didn't feel like that the Jewish people uh, should pay taxes to Rome. And so, and so that's what that was. And so, so you know, uh, Gamaliel is, is saying, hey, there's a pattern here that these people come along every once in a while and they cause a stir, they cause an uprising, they get some people to join in and follow along. But then what happens? Once we kill them, then everybody scatters and they all disperse and they just fall by the wayside. And so he says to them, wise, wise Jewish guy that he is, he says, hey, don't, don't try to kill them or don't do anything drastic. Let's just take a wait and see attitude. Just take a wait and see attitude. Well, That was about 1,990 years ago. So where are we, church? Where are we? 1,990 years ago, did did it all just fall by the wayside? Absolutely not. And so Gamaliel gives testimony here. He He says, if it's from God... You will not be able to stop it. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. This morning, uh, the cover of the New York Times uh, is filled with uh, just the, the, the entire cover of the newspaper is filled with names of people who had died, have died, in the midst of the, the global pandemic. And uh, it's hit home with me, and as I told the folks gathered here this morning before we started our worship, uh, that I'll be going most likely Tuesday back to Kentucky uh, to uh, to do the funeral for a former uh, employer of mine, and so who died uh, as a result of COVID nineteen. Uh, he was in his eighties. He had uh, underlying health conditions uh but uh you know when we when we talk about underlying health conditions it's it's almost as if we just dismiss that life uh taking the time to read some of those names and i made the assumption because it was the new york times that it would that it would be a group of names that were simply in the new york area no no they start uh they start in california and kirkland washington and and they, they work their way through this list, and it's from people all over the country. And, and it says, it's not just a name and a place and, a, and an age. Uh, the first thing that does strike you is, yeah, they're in their 80s, they're in their 70s. But then you find people in their 60s. How many people you know in their 60s that have a lot of life left? There are people in their 60s in this room right now that, I pray, have a lot of life left another 15, 20 years plus. And then you get to that, those people that are in their 50s. And it reminds me of my own father's passing because he was in his late 50s. And I'm thinking, you know, I would have sure liked for him to have still been around today. And he died when I was in my 20s. And so these, every one of these, we see numbers, but every one of them represents a life that is precious to someone. If nothing else, it's a life that's precious to the Almighty Father. And uh, my wife sent me a a devotional uh, a few days ago. And this is sent out because uh, she teaches dual enrollment psychology through Bethel University. Uh, She gets emails from their, their university chaplain. And he writes, I can imagine what the history books say. There was a global pandemic caused by a virus. The number of infected people grew daily. Officials recommended frequent hand washing and quarantining of the sick. Uh, Several cities went so far as to ban public worship services and other public gatherings. And, of course, you could say to yourself, wow, this yeah, this is okay. This sounds familiar. It's describing what we're living through. But, no, when we first started online worship, I mentioned the Spanish flu of 1918. And that's what is being mentioned here, that this is, this is the Spanish flu of uh, 1918. In the end, the pandemic killed 50 million people, including 675,000 Americans, And he goes on to say, Chris Gertz, a history professor at Bethel University, recently wrote about how churches and church leaders responded to that 1918 pandemic as reported by local newspapers. And it says, some pastors were creative and led outdoor services, encouraged home worship, and even sermons published in newspapers. An interim pastor in San Francisco preached that many Christians had caused the pandemic as a result of being cowardly and worldly, and only repentance of these sins would stop the spread of the virus. At the other spectrum, a Methodist leader wrote that the pandemic should convince intelligent Christians to trust science rather than seeking to tempt God to perform a miracle in the preservation of our health. Opposite sides of the spectrum, right? Even from among what? From among Christians. Even from among the body of Christ, the body of believers, Some pastors refused to close their doors, held services in protest, and in at least one city, a pastor was arrested for refusing to cancel services. Reminds me of the Tampa, Florida area this year, and down in uh, Louisiana where ministers were arrested for holding church services when they were asked not to. Uh, The Daily Telegram of Worcester, Massachusetts reported on how Christians were responding. Women from three local churches were taking care of epidemic orphans, as they were known. So children who became orphans because their parents died at the hands of the Spanish flu. And so women from three different congregations began uh, taking care of these children And it says, they not only gave food and clothing, but supplied them with plenty of healthful recreation and a little systemized instruction as well. And so, in other words, uh, they played games. In other words, they had school. And so they went above and beyond just food, clothing, and shelter for these children. Uh, They enriched their life. They made an impact on people. And so uh so yes uh 102 years ago uh there were ministers who who called people cowardly and worldly and called them to repentance and and yes there were people who went to the other extreme and you know said we need to trust science uh and then in the middle there were people who did what Christians should do at a time of crisis, that they, they took care of other people. Uh, when this first started, I remember thinking, because if you remember, we were in an, in an election year. I think we still are, uh, although the news, it's, it's very different from what we, we find in a typical election year. And, of course, in any election year of, of recent memory, what happens People are divided. And so, uh, and I remember when all this broke out and people started saying, we're in this together. We're in this together. And I remember thinking, you know what? You know, this is unfortunate, but God is at work here. And, And it's great to see people coming together for a common cause, but that spirit didn't last a real long time, did it? Because, after a few weeks, then the blame game starts happening, and it hasn't stopped happening and then I look on Facebook, and thankfully I've not been on there. I was on there a lot early on, posting messages to try to get news to how we were going to worship, and you know the fact that we had a new website, had a new YouTube channel, and, and that there was there were new things going on, and I thank the people involved in that, but uh, I hadn't been on for several days, and I logged in the other day to post a prayer request for one of our members, and and uh, and then I started scrolling through and looking at some of the things people were saying. And, and I see lots of division. People that call it a hoax. People that say, no, it's real. And uh, just because our county hasn't been tragically affected doesn't make it these lives any less valuable or precious. And then people come back and say, well, they're crediting some causes of death with COVID-19 that aren't really part of the, as a result of the of the illness. And, and it just goes back and forth. And trust me when I say nobody's mind is changed by comments on Facebook or any other form of social media. Commenting just doesn't bear fruit. What I appreciate is that in all the negativity I see right here in our own community, I didn't see any of it coming from the people within this church family. Now, that's not to say that nobody has taken a side and nobody has an opinion. But I didn't see any of our folks spewing some hatred. And I'm grateful for that. I'm very grateful for that because you can't spew hatred and you can't spew negativity and be salt and light. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't, and it never, never will. I also appreciate... Also appreciate the people who have been consistently. <laughs> Pardon me, the people who have been consistently calling and checking on others. Because when I when I make contact with somebody, and uh, and I certainly haven't been able to get to everybody like some have, and I appreciate the the, the work that's gone into that, but. Uh, the the number of people that have said, I appreciate all the phone calls. I appreciate the consistent phone calling. And uh, that that has served to help us feel loved and to help us feel connected during all this. So to those of you that have made calls and checked on other people, and you've gone to other people, thank you for that. Because you were responding the way Children of Light are supposed to respond. Does conflict exist? Absolutely exists. Uh, It existed for the early apostles. Verse 41. I'm sorry, verse 40. Uh, His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Now get that, church. They are rejoicing because they were worthy of taking a beating for the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Working toward a close here, looking at the first four verses of chapter 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom." we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. In other words, we've got our hands full teaching and preaching. We're in the temple courts, how often, church? Daily. They took a beating and they still went back. They were told, don't go back. They still went back. Why? Because they said, we're taking our orders from God and not people who are opposing God. And so they went back, and, and they're preaching, and then, and then Luke tells us that it wasn't just limited to the temple courts, because some would not join them in the temple courts out of fear. We saw that back in those first verses I read in 12 through 14. And so then they, they overcame that fear by going to homes, to these house gatherings, and teaching in the homes. And so there we have it. What's going on? Yes, even in church from time to time, there's conflict. Uh, it happened, and, and you've got to keep in mind, we're not that far removed. Two weeks ago, I was reading from the end of chapter 4. And we have this section that says, all the believers, uh, in, in my Bible, this is this is on the same opening pages here. Uh, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. And in that same opening, then we get to where it says that the 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 Hebrew speaking folks and the Greek speaking folks were suddenly uh, suddenly not getting along. Some felt like their people were overlooked, and so and so we have to understand. That uh, problems will arise. But when problems arise, whether it's a disagreement in church, and no, there's not a disagreement in our church right now. But whether it's a disagreement even among family, even among church family, or whether it is a, a disagreement going on in society, it's an opportunity for us to be salt and light. And don't miss the most important thing that we read this morning. Uh, go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. And that is what we are called to do, to tell people about this new life. Because once you start with Jesus, there is no return. God bless you.